Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Conspiranormal. It's your host, I'm saying, and that's your magnificent co-host, Luke Reed. about a week we had mm-hmm. our uh, show with uh Gabalone and michael carter what's up all you weirdos <laughs> yeah, luke is back in the house and we got rob here uh, just just three of us we may have a fourth joining us possibly possibly um no he's locked out right well we uh we have a special guest tonight and one that i'm really excited about you know we had our uh little kind of like discussion last week with uh guy malone and michael carter and I kind of like kind of a precursor to what we're going to talk about tonight. And anybody that's listened to this show uh, knows where I come from. And I think where Luke kind of comes from on the topic of aliens, alien abductions, and UFOs. But uh, we have someone on that uh, kind of this is a, kind of more like in the physical realm of UFOs, seeing them as a physical reality. And... Uh, I'd like to welcome on uh, Dr. David Jacobs. Well, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, Dr. Jacobs, I first, uh, I was in the library in like, God, I want to say about 10 years ago now, and I came across a book called The Threat. And at first I kind of looked at it, I didn't check it out right away, but uh, later on I did uh, check it out and read it. And uh, it was a very intriguing book. 
And it's one of those books that's uh, really stuck with me in the, you know, kind of the field of ufology and the study of alien abductions. And uh, so it really is an honor to have you on. Uh, like I said, before we start, got started, I followed you for your work for a long time. And what I'm interested in starting with is kind of talk about your background and uh, who, you know, who you are in your professional life and how someone... Uh, that is a professor in history uh, became interested in alien abductions, especially at a time in the 80s when there wasn't a lot of literature around at the time. Right. Um, now, I, uh, I had been interested in the UFO phenomenon since the time I was uh, an undergraduate at UCLA uh, about a thousand years ago. And... Um, <laughs> When I uh, when my wife and I moved to Madison, Wisconsin to attend graduate school, um, I uh, I continued my my research in UFOs and uh, uh, eventually uh, wrote my doctoral dissertation on the subject of uh, the UFO uh, controversy in the, uh, in America. That was made into a book uh, in, uh, a couple of years after I got my PhD, but. Um, I was interested in abductions. I mean, there was the Barney and Betty Hill case. Right. And there was another case, Antonio Villas-Boas case in Brazil, which took place in 1957. And uh, there was a few other ones. But, you know, with UFO research, what you're dealing with is massive, incomprehensibly huge numbers of sightings of similar objects around the world with similar characteristics similar lights uh, lights at night, similar maneuvers, similar you name it. And what UFO research is all about is patterns. If everybody was, was, was seeing different things in the sky, then something would be really off kilter, you know. It would be, it'd be something else other than what, what we know as the UFO phenomenon. Um, with abductions, uh, the problem was that we only had a few. Uh, and uh, in the 1970s, there, 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 were, there was a few more. There was the Travis Walden case, Pascagoula, Mississippi, uh, yes. and, and a bunch, you know, a bunch more. But it wasn't like tens or hundreds of thousands like we had with the UFOs. And so, and not only that, but all these cases were in different enough to think that this is probably psychological in nature, that, that there's something else going on here. Maybe they are being abducted. I'm not going to exclude that. Maybe they're not, you know. And that was sort of my, my mindset um, as, as we went into the 1980s. Um, and I've told this story a bunch of times, so, so I'll just tell it again. Uh, in 1981, I attended a conference in Chicago where Bud Hopkins was about to give his first paper on abductions to a scientific group, uh, um, and one of the first abduction papers, if not the first abduction paper uh, to scientists, um, at a conference in, in Chicago uh, put on by J. Allen, J. Allen Hynek at the Center for UFO Studies. And I thought, and I was in the audience at that time, not really that much concerned with UFOs. I mean, I'm sorry, with abductions. Yeah. And so the question then came, became for me, should I sit there and listen to this guy Hopkins talk about abductions, something that was 
probably psychological. Or should I go out in the hallway with my friend Marcello Trizzi, who was a professor of sociology at Eastern Michigan, who happened to know every joke ever uttered by every human since the caveman existed. <laughs> and so I went out in the hallway with Marcello, of course, and, and we laughed. I laughed for an hour. Um, and uh, so I, I didn't pay any attention to Bud Hopkins, in other words. A year later, uh, a friend of mine named Tracy Torme uh, came to me and, and, uh, and uh, I met with him in New York City. I went up to New York City. We had a chat about government conspiracy and that sort of stuff and UFOs at all. And afterwards he said, you know, I'm going to go see my friend Bud Hopkins. Uh, why don't you come along with me? And I said, Tracy, no, I, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't think I want to do that, you know. He said, no, no, come on. He's a nice guy. I like him. He said, come on. And I said, no, no, I, I know I got other things to do or whatever. He's like, come on, come on, come on, you like him. So I said, okay, okay. So we went over to Bud Hopkins' uh, house in, on 16th Street in, uh, in, in the Chelsea area of, of New York City and um, met Bud Hopkins there. We went upstairs in, into his, his home, his living room, and uh, I was first of all, I was astonished to see um, – the art that he had on its walls, not only his painting, since he was a a fantastic artist, but he had a, a drawings by uh, by Renoir and Degas and Cezanne on his wall. He had paintings by Franz Klein and and Hans Hoffmann and and all these other people. It was just my jaw hit the floor when I saw that. It was a it's not something you usually see in a UFO researchers or abduction researchers home. You know what I mean? No, he must have had fairly decent money to be able to buy some of that. Well, he bought drawings when uh, yeah. uh, when when they were they weren't all that expensive uh, back in the 1950s, and and he he knew what he was doing. Uh, he he moved to New York City in uh, uh, in 1953, and then uh, he bought a house in 1958 with uh, with a, uh, another person. They went in together on it. But he was a member of what's called the New York School of Art, and uh, his his best friend was a guy named Franz Klein, who was who was this towering figure of American art. And uh, Jackson Pollock and people like that were all within his uh, his world, you know. And, um, wow. He was the youngest one. He was the youngest guy in in this in this band of artists uh, in New York City. So uh, uh, this included Robert De Niro's father, incidentally. Uh, and many others, hmm. but um, but he was extremely gracious, extremely kind, extremely intelligent, and everything else that uh, impressed me. And now it's time to leave. We were there for about an hour, and uh, uh, we're standing outside, sort of on, on the sidewalk, but not quite on the sidewalk. He had a little pathway to his uh, his row house, there, his townhouse. And he asked me, what are you doing, doing this summer, in the summer? And I said, well, my wife and I have just had a, a baby. Uh, we usually go up to Bar Harbor from Philadelphia, and um, but it's too long a drive in the car for the baby. So what we're going to do is go to a little town in Cape Cod. This is a town nobody ever heard of called Wellfleet, where we had been once before, and it's nice, and we're going to go there for, for vacation. He said, Wellfleet? 
He says, I own a house in Wellfleet. I go to Wellfleet every summer for three months and come back in September or October, you know. I said, when you get there, look me up. So when we got there, we looked him up, and uh, he introduced me to some abductees, and he, I sat in on a session of his with somebody, and and after that, it was downhill ever since for me. <laughs> that was it. Mm. <laughs> I, I suddenly got interested. I realized that the people who had abduction uh, had been abducted was uh, much, much, much greater than I'd ever uh, ever uh, known in terms of the numbers, and. Um, these were sincere, serious people, and they were all saying the same thing. And uh, uh, I was looking at patterns and everything else, and uh, it still took me four years. This is in 82 now. It took me four more years to start doing hypnosis where I felt comfortable enough to do it. And uh, so I started doing hypnosis with abductees in 86, and since that time I have... Um, I've, I've looked at 1,150 uh, or more uh, abduction events well, with only about 150 people. It's not that many people. But okay. I have been able to follow some of these people for decades, literally, and uh, for many, many years and see changes over time and see exactly what's going on as opposed to a, a sort of one-shot deal. And uh, because the abduction phenomenon, as Hopkins found was intergenerational. If you are an abductee um, and you have kids, your kids will be abductees too. And it happens right. uh, with, with, uh, with great frequency, actually, from the time they're kids all the way up until old age. So a person can be abducted many, 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 many times. Uh, and, and, you know, the question is, what happens during the abductions and, and, uh, and is there any change in and all that, and, and, and so I was able, and, and still am. I, I, there's still one person who came to me in 1987, and I still work with her every once in a while. Well, that's a long time, yeah. That's like as long as Luke's been alive. <laughs> uh, Hopkins had already written, I, I guess he'd already written Missing Time by the time you met him. When I met him, um, I had, I, he had written Missing Time, but I had not bothered to read it because I didn't want to have... I, I just didn't have enough time for missing time. So when I saw him yeah. in Wellfleet, I had read the book. Okay. So I, I read it in 82, when it came in 81. Well, I want to ask about hypnosis before we kind of go into kind of more of the, the stories and the typical kind of experience. You know, uh, that is something that is controversial. And, you know, what's kind of the pluses and kind of the minuses of 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 hypnosis and you know, like it's a reliability and you know how do you when you're when you put someone under like that you know how do you distinguish between like a confabulation or a fantasy or just like maybe what is you know what has really happened to that person thank you very much for that question that's my favorite question in the world these days yeah. um, and the answer is uh, who the hell knows <laughs> no, no the, the answer is, in my very first session, uh, I, I, I received the gift, capital G, the gift in my very first session. And once again, I've told this story, but it's, it's good to remind people. 
uh, Hopkins sent me, uh, referred a woman to me, a young woman, she was 27 years old, uh, to, uh, because she'd written to Bubby because of uh, missing time or, or intruders. No, uh, missing time, missing time. Okay. And uh, she lives in Philadelphia. So <clears throat> I had learned how to do hypnosis, sort of. Doing hypnosis is, as I tell people, well, it's, if you want to be hypnotized, you will. If you don't want to be, you won't. That's that's the way it works. It's basically relaxation techniques. It's just simply relaxing somebody and getting them to focus in and concentrate. It's it's not much more than that, and yet it is more than that. How it exactly works, I don't know. All I know is that when people are hypnotized, in quotes, and I, I hate even to use that word because it makes no sense. So uh, they'll be laying on my, I have a little day couch here, a little day bed where they lay on and a, and a coffee table and a chair that I sit on, you know. And um, they'll look at me, they'll, they'll get up and they'll say, I need, I need to go to the bathroom. And I say, oh, okay, this is in the middle of a session. They get yeah. up, they go to the bathroom, they come back, they lay back. I lay back down and I just keep asking the questions. Doesn't well. matter. People looked at me and said, I, I, you know, Dave, I, I don't think I'm hypnotized. The answer is, doesn't matter, lay back down, it's okay. And it doesn't. Hmm. But let's just say it does, just for the purposes of argument, because of the story I'm about to tell you. This woman, uh, uh, who I call Melissa, uh, and I've actually written about her, but without the passion that I felt at the time, um, uh, she she was sent to me, and she had she remembered a series of things happening. But one was when she was a little girl. She remembered uh, being in a, a playground area, actually a park area, and uh, she she bent down to look at a, a butterfly or something, and she was with a friend, and she felt uh, arms around her body, and she was lifted up up into the sky into this UFO, and uh, and essentially that's what she remembered. So I said, well, let's let's look at that. Now, at this time, I just had a couch in my living room, and I, I sat on a chair sort of behind her where I had written out in a, a, uh, a script, uh, you know, to, to read to her uh, to do the hypnosis induction because I didn't want her, and I, I, I put it in the palm of my hand so she couldn't see it because I didn't want her to think that I was an idiot, that this was my very first time doing this. I wanted her to think that I sort of knew what I was doing, which, of course, I didn't. Hmm. And um, but she was a channeler, and she had was really into channeling, which means you know, that you're well. In my opinion, and people argue with me about this all the time, but in my opinion, one part of the brain gets in touch with another part of the brain and interprets whatever it li- whatever it hears is coming from the outside. And okay, kind of like the right left brain. Yeah. Whatever it is, I'm, it's probably not that at all. But but it's in, in layman's terms, it's it's not coming from the outside. No matter where it's coming from, it's coming from somewhere in the inside. And uh, we we know we've got a lot of we have a lot of experience with channeling and UFOs and abductions rather. And believe me, the two do not match. But, okay. Um, so, uh, but she had offered seminars. She used to go around giving seminars on how to do channeling. She was really into it. And I read off my induction, and she went directly into this relaxed state. I'm not even going to call it a trance. It's just such a stupid word. She went into this uh, relaxed state. And 
the following events happened. She was with her. She was looking at a butterfly, whatever it was, and with her friend, and she, and these arms went around her, and she went up into this uh, UFO, and she recognized the person who she sort of knew, who was a guy with a page boy haircut, hmm. which was odd to me, but okay. And she had a name for him too, named Cosmo. And I thought to myself, huh? Well, okay. And um, then. Uh, he put her on a table, took her clothes off. He did this to her and that to her, a sort of examination. And there was a, uh, uh, a sort of reproductive uh, examination there, too. And uh, uh, she was very embarrassed to tell, tell me about it. And uh, she was only seven years old or six years old, whatever she was. And then he took her off the table and he walked her into a, through a hallway and she met a gray alien. And she was required to put her hands around the gray alien, on, on the gray alien's head and she had, she felt love and warmth, and and uh, uh, it was just a, a very loving, affectionate feeling coming from him. Then they continued to she when she took her hands off uh, his head, they continued to walk down the hallway, and she went to a room where there was a group of aliens who were sitting around, sort of like a council table, and they told her that she was going to grow up to be uh, a, a beautiful person and a smart girl and and a wonderful person and all that. And then uh, she was brought back to the main room, to the room where she was before. She had her clothes put on, and she went on, and she, they took her back. Meanwhile, her the friend was gone. Her friend was gone. So okay. that was it, and I was, like, overjoyed and, and amazed and astounded, and, and, and my brains had been blasted across the ceiling, and oh, my God, I've done it, I've done it, I've done it, I've done hypnosis with an abductee, and I have a, I have this, this account that she gave me. And I called up uh, Hopkins and told him, and we compared notes and this and that. And that night, um, I went upstairs uh, to uh, transfer everything to my 8088 dual floppy black and white computer. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. I didn't need no stinking hard drive. <laughs> they didn't even have them, actually, <laughs> yet. Yeah, it would have been like 15, like 15 megabytes anyway. So. Well, they were, they were dual floppy disks. had seven, yeah. 720 kilobytes of... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote a book on it. I wrote Secret Life on that, on that thing. Anyway, right. um, so... I had a little tiny tape recorder that I used for her downstairs, and I went upstairs to, to uh, transcribe it. And that tape recorder was not powerful enough to pick up every word she whispered. It picked up my questions, but not yeah. there was there was nothing from her on that on that tape. And I thought, oh my God, I've lost it! I've lost it! Oh, the treasure, the gem! I've lost it. And I and I didn't know what to do. I thought maybe I just remember to do it all. I remember it, and I couldn't do that. I just can't remember everything I said in an hour. So, um, but she came back for another session, and then another session, and another session, and then finally I said, Melissa, remember that first session we did? And she said, Yeah. I said, Well, I had a little trouble with the tape recorder, as trying to plus press the blame on the tape recorder as opposed to my stupidity in not trying it out first. <laughs> and um, so I said, "Let's can we do that one again, that first session? She said, sure. 
Mm-hmm. And we did the first okay. session. She's down there. She's looking at a butterfly. And uh, then she feels arms around her, and there's a guy with a page boy haircut, and his name is Cosmo, and they put her on a table. He says, this, that, this, that, and there's a sort of reproductive examination. He's very embarrassed to tell me about. And then they put her clothes back, and she gets her clothes back on, and then he takes her back. I said, um, Melissa, let me hold you up there. Let me back you up a little bit. Remember the first time we talked about this? You said you walked down a, a hallway, and there was a gray alien, and then you put your your hands on his head and all, and you felt love and affection and all that. She said, you know, I don't remember that happening. I said, okay. I said well, what about when you continued walking and then there was this council and you were going to grow up and then you're going to be loyal, brave, and strong and all that? She said, you know, I've had to my friend Lydia, not to me. <laughs> that was the gift. Because I knew at that instant that I was an idiot, that I did not know what I was doing, that I was accepting everything she said at face value as if every word was true, that there was such a thing as confabulation, and I confronted it immediately in my very first session, and I just swore at that time that is not going to happen to me again. Yeah. And so I began to put controls into place in terms of the questioning that I was doing, and I learned how how to ask questions because doing hypnosis is the stupidest damn thing in the world. Anybody and his parakeet can do it. Anybody can do it. Hmm. Um, it is asking the right questions in the right way and understanding what those answers are and whether those are factual or unfactual answers that makes it important. That's that's what that's what hypnosis can do. If you're if you don't know what questions to ask and if you don't know how to go about doing it and if you have an agenda, some sort of new age agenda or transformational agenda or or religious agenda or whatever kind of agenda it is, it is in fact easy to place things in people's minds and to control people when they're in this relaxed and comfortable and uh, state. So the idea is not to do that. You don't want to do that. That's, <laughs> that's the last thing you want to do. And uh, and so uh, she taught me that you know that I should I should get my uh, my act in order, and I did. So, so just by that kind of like serendipity of not having the the microphone recording or, or her her whispers, then you kind of found out, you know, like a, an important lesson about it. That is exactly right. I learned that I was that I had a lot more to learn. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not quite getting it. What what was it that she did again that uh, made you realize it was fraudulent? The uh, part of the story was left out from. Oh, uh, the first. From the, oh, yeah, so okay. There was something that was invented pretty much in the first one. That wasn't there in the second. Oh, yeah, she I see. invented something that she told me she simply did not. That it, it basically didn't happen. I don't remember that happening. She didn't. It, it wasn't. She, she. I mean, she just said basically it didn't happen. It's what that meant. And then she just said, "Well, that didn't happen to me. That happened to my friend Lydia." Now, this was Lydia Stallmacher, who had been on television quite a bit. Actually, it was a friend of uh, of Melissa's. So, uh, the, and I can use that name because she has been out in the open about it. So, uh, uh, 
In other words, she told me something and she invented, then she told me something that somebody else, that it happened to somebody else. And as you go forward with this, you begin to see the patterns emerge, and so it becomes easier with each person that you can kind of ask the same uh, kind of questions, and, and if you're getting consistent answers, you know that there is something that's matching there. The, one, uh, there's, a, there's a whole list of astonishing things about the abduction phenomenon. One of them is that everybody says essentially the same story. Now, the abduction phenomenon is far more complicated than most people imagine. And it's, it has, the abduction phenomenon has, a, has uh, everybody thinks that abductions are people are being abducted and they're lying on a table and, and experiments are run on them or, or studies are done or there's an examination. That is yeah. not why people are abducted. It is never why people are abducted. That is not. It's kind of become the standard Hollywood version, I think. Yes, and that's fine for yeah. me. That's that's fine for me. That's okay. If but people want to think that, that's good because I've moved way past that, way past that. Uh, and so the point is that that there's it, it's a complicated uh, uh, structure that everybody who I've ever worked with talks about. In other words, it's not a question of just lying on a table. There's all sorts of other things that happen that have not been um, publicized much, although I've been shooting my mouth out recently in the last couple of years. But, um, uh, but, but, but it's not about examinations. It's, that's not what it's all about. When we first started hearing the stories, that's what was uppermost in people's mind. Now they were lying on a table and these beings were staring at them and doing this and doing that. And that's all true. But other things happen as well. And all around the world, people say these same things. And around the world, and everywhere in the country anyway, uh, 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 no matter what background they come from, no matter how educated they are or uneducated, no matter, no matter anything, it cuts across all religious, ethnic, national, uh, educational, uh, intellectual lines. It, 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 it's it's amazing it's just astonishing how everybody talks about the same thing in the same way describing the same events that happened to them there has never been anything in human history like this you cannot point to another phenomenon at least that i know of that has happened on a global basis with the unbelievable detail that these people all describe and in much of it, they have no way of knowing or picking it up in the media. There's never well, been anything gonna, like it. I was going to ask you kind of what the typical experience is, but now I really feel like I should ask you what is you know what is the com what is the complex part about it, and and what are some of the other things that are going on besides kind of these examinations and. Well. If you read the threat, which which was I've got another yeah. book coming out about abductions, which will takes off from the threat. Um, that won't come out till probably uh, sometime later on next year in, in 2015, because it takes about a year for them after they get the manuscript to, to publish it. So, sure. Uh, and I I just sent in the patent manuscript a few days ago, so it's going to be about a year. But yeah. um, uh, so anyway, the point is that that this is all. Uh, these beings, our friends, 
our little friends, uh, uh, you have to understand they're all. This is a phenomenon that is a program that has, as I said in the thread, it's got a, a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's goal directed. This is not something that's just random where they're studying us. They are not studying us or examining us or experimenting on us. None of that is true. It never, it never was true except probably in the very, very, very beginning stages of the phenomenon, perhaps in the late uh, last quarter of the 19th century. Okay. Because um, uh, we have cases all the way back. Um, uh, I did cases, a couple cases in the 1930s, but I did a case in the 1920s, and I read a letter that was uh, from uh, that took place in 1917 from a guy who was obviously abducted. Uh, this was in the files of the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization many many years ago. But um, and through family histories, also we can date it back probably to around the 1880s. After that, it pretty much drops off. Uh, we don't we don't have any any have any, any evidence of it whatsoever uh, before that. Okay. But um, uh, so let's see. What was the question you just asked? Now the uh, well, just kind of the the you know what is what is un, what is unusual besides just the kind of kind of like the right, examination right. Well, and, and what you yeah. what you would typically hear uh, from Hollywood or you would see in like something on the, you know, one of the History Channel or something like that. Right. Well, the key thing here is, of course, hybrids. Uh, Hopkins first discovered hybrids, uh, and he's the one who labeled them as hybrids, beings who look sort of half human, half alien. And he he first came across it in 1983 uh, when a woman was handed a a weird-looking baby to hold, and uh, and and she was required to uh, to feed the baby. And uh, he told me about this story, and, and I was I, my jaw fell open. I could not believe that he was telling me this because number one, I don't know if he, if anybody else had ever mentioned the word baby and flying saucer in the same sentence. You know what I mean? It's just it's, right. it's so anachronistic, so so contradictory, not contradictory, but so different. And how they wanted this woman to uh, feed the baby, and of course she couldn't feed the baby because she wasn't pregnant and she uh, wasn't lactating. And there's a certain things that have to happen before before she can feed the baby. And they they forced the baby up to her breast, even though she objected. And uh, and uh, and I remember thinking that's a, that's a, the craziest thing I've ever heard because if she's not lactating, then then they they value form over function. The form is to put the baby to her breast. But there's no function. Yeah. So uh, there's no milk. Well, why we learned later on, of course, that uh, she already she was in fact lactating. That all women lactate. That they can they can uh, they can cause lactation at will, basically. There's a, and I can I can tell when it happens. But um, in other words, even even if an abductee does not know, if I ask certain questions, which are not she's not going to understand. Um, uh, I, I know what's going to happen later on, because if I ask questions about how their breasts feel after a certain procedure is done, and they say, "Well, they feel kind of heavy," I know she's going to feed a baby, well, and it, because that's it, what happens. I've got, I've got God knows how many cases like that, and yeah. it's done on the table. It's done, the 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 lactation stimulation is done on the table. 
But um, so it's the babies, though, that's the critical thing. It's not the abductees, it's the babies. And what we've seen is babies who look, who, who are older, toddlers, three, four years old, who are older, young children, you know, five to 12, who are, who are uh, adolescents, uh, who are uh, young adults, who are uh, adults, but who are not older adults for some reason or another. We do not know why that is the case. We don't, okay. don't understand that, but uh, that knowledge is not there. Um, and but you have seen uh, cases of teen, like teenagers, like maybe seventeen, eighteen. Oh yeah, we've seen lots yeah. and lots and lots of teenagers and and uh, and every other age too. Uh, and we've seen different stages of development of hybrids as well. Uh, what I called in the threat early stage, middle stage, and late stage. But I've added more stages now. There's just uh, humanoid stage. They're they're humans. They're human stage. Uh, and uh, and then there's something that I call hubrids, who are human in every single way imaginable. They are absolutely, positively, totally, 100% human, except for 1%. <laughs> if that's not enough. Okay. Uh, they can control us neurologically, and we cannot control them. And the whole abduction phenomenon is all about mental control, as, as everybody knows. Otherwise, they wouldn't be abducted. When a person is abducted, they, before the abduction starts, before they see anything, before the physicality of it becomes clear to them, they know that something is going wrong. Something is happening. There's a light coming into the room if it's at night. Or suddenly they're watching television and they're just sort of paralyzed. And um, then they see these beings entering into the room to grab them, take them somewhere, you know, whatever. Let's say the gray yeah. aliens. Um, they can't reach underneath their pillow and get out their Glock 9. <laughs> and just blow their heads off. They can't do that. They can't get up and run. They can't dial 911. They can't wake their spouse or, or, or just uh, or, or start screaming out the window. They can't. They're just sitting there waiting. They're already in control neurologically, and it's from a distance. Now, the question is, is that distance 28,000 light years away, or is it uh, 100 feet away, you know? Uh, uh, I think it's more like 100, 200 feet, whatever it is. I think it's relatively close. Um, then, after they come back from the abduction, they forget about what happened to them instantly. All they know is they were they were they are still sitting on the couch, and the two programs, the two TV shows that they were watching, uh, that, were, that I'm sorry, that they were waiting to watch, are now over with and gone. And uh, huh, what? Uh, yeah, the missing time aspect. The yeah. missing time aspect, exactly. Or uh, <laughs> d d driving along. Here, here's a case of a uh, a, a guy and his uh, wife, uh, a scientist, in fact, uh, who are driving along, and uh, and they say the, 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 it's, a, it's at night. The woman sees a light in the sky at night. She points it out to her husband. They say, "Look at that! What, you know what is that?" Suddenly, there's a giant flash. Now they were driving. It was around 10:30 at night. Uh, they suddenly see a 
giant flash. They look at each other and they just say, what, what the heck was that? What was that? You know, then they notice it's 1230 and they're in the same place driving, still behind the wheel in the same street, the same area, same there, there, there where they were before. Now, what I told you is not possible on this earth as we know it. No, it's true. Unless you're by, an abductee. By, yeah. If you're an abductee, that's routine stuff. Live with it every day. Yeah. <laughs> Has there ever been any reported case of like some lady spitting out some kind of squid baby or something like that and it being like immediately taken away nope. from the room? Uh, well, not okay, you spit out through your mouth. Uh, no, but uh, <laughs> I think he means like if like it's like it's like if they go to the like these false preg- these pregnancies or the ones that they supposedly think are false, and then they're later taken away. Is anybody like um, meaning that like if you go to the if they went to the doctor and then all of a sudden somebody had like a hybrid right then and there? Yeah, but like but that. like not a, not a human looking hybrid, but something that was very alien looking. And yeah, we don't have any cases of that. Um, the when uh, on the table procedures, oftentimes uh, uh, eggs are taken from women, sperm is taken from men. That we've known since the beginning, since the first two yeah. cases: Antonio Villas Boas, 1957, and Barney and Betty Hill, 1961. And that has remained true throughout the world, and uh, for all these years. And um, uh, they'll take that, and 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 they will then. Uh, Inject essentially the, a, 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 a gamete uh, into the woman, which becomes a fetus. And at about 10 weeks or old or so, they remove the fetus. This is before she shows, and uh, and place it in a, a container uh, of nutrients where where the baby uh, grows until it's removed. So, um, in the, and people have seen these. By the hundreds, uh, these tanks by the hundreds is, is extremely common. Um, but what we do have is is people who think that they're pregnant, but they can't be pregnant because I, I call me crazy. But there's got to be a certain series of events that happen. I, I think that leads yeah, to yeah, pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and if those <laughs> things haven't happened in the past ten years, that person isn't going to get ten, uh, pregnant. But um, and they will, but they'll. They, it's a damnedest thing, and so they'll sometimes go and get a uh, uh, an EPT, an early pregnancy ta- uh, test, you know, uh, that you can buy at a drugstore or something, and it's positive, which makes no sense whatsoever. So they and go then to later their on, right. They have another experience, and the baby's gone. Right. Well, they'll go to a doctor and get a blood test, which is 100% positive. And the doctor comes in and says, "Congratulations, you know, you're 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 pregnant." <laughs> and the woman says, "What? What are you talking about?" And then suddenly, it's the pregnancy is gone after about ten weeks, and the the, the woman will come back for a checkup, and and the pregnancy is gone. And the the, the, doc, the doctor says, "Well, you must have had uh, uh, what's called a spontaneous abortion, you know, a miscarriage." Yeah, and the woman says, "Well, you know, I think I would have noticed that. There's blood, there's pain, there's cramps, there's expulsion of fetal material. Right. I think it would have caught my attention, you know. 
Yeah, I would have noticed that for sure. <laughs> so the doctor says, "Well, you must have had must have happened on the toilet." <laughs> well, what I want to ask you is, and I kind of want to, I, I have Secret Life in front of me, and uh, there's a part of it that I read towards the end of it that that struck me, especially since I've read the threat first. Yeah, you did uh, it in reverse order. It, yeah. Uh, what was interesting to me is that you write you wrote this book. Uh, well, 1992 is when it was published. I'm sure it was this was written before. In 91, yeah. But uh, it says that uh, it's like the, the the program they have instituted does not seem to be one of conquest, at least not in the common meaning of the word. And the apparent lack of systematic interest in our culture and society probably precludes any type of program to colonize. And it seems that it's at a certain point, especially by the time you'd wrote you'd written the threat, that it was that you had, you had changed your mind on that. Yeah, that's exactly and right. And I just wanted to know, like, you know, what led you to the conclusions that you later come because you see it, you don't see it as a threat in Secret Life, but by the time you know, and obviously the title of the book, the threat. You see it as a very existential threat to to humanity, basically. You know, that title was Simon and Schuster's title. It wasn't my title. And I hated that title. I hated it. And now, I think it's a pretty good title. What were you originally going to title it? Gray Area, the World of Humans, Aliens, and Hybrids. Okay. Which I think is a cleverer title because it's gray beings and it's their area and, and all that. And, and the whole thing is in a gray area of is it real or not real. Right. Uh, they didn't think it was sexy enough to use their word. So... Um, well, it definitely got my attention in the library when I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it, it is it, it, this next book that I'm writing is is is, is going to be as I said takes off from that, and this is the world of hybrids. This is this is in fact a colonization program. Uh, it is. Uh, um, it, 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 this is this is bad. <laughs> this is this is awful. This is. Catastrophic. It is a catastrophic situation. Okay. You have to understand that this is a global phenomenon. The amount of time and energy, and I don't know if you call it manpower, alien power that's put into this thing is unbelievable. It is fantastic. It's just it's you can't get your brain around around this phenomenon. Uh, it's so large, and uh, I, I, I get questionnaires that people fill out from all around the world constantly, uh, uh, from people who speak English and who you know you know can can fill out my find my my hiding uh, website and uh, and fill out this questionnaire. But um, but but the point is that uh, this is they're doing this for a reason, and the reason I do think. Is that it is a colonization program, and that's what they say. It's not just me; it's them too. They say right. soon there'll be a change. The change is coming. Everybody will be together. We'll all be together. They're, basically, they, they they would show people, as you remember from the threat, pictures of uh, of people. Uh, one that I keep uh, remembering is uh, uh, the barbecue or, or, you know, people having a barbecue. And it's, and it's just... Yes, I do remember that, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's just normal people. And they and this woman or, or or other people looking at this screen-like device where they're seeing this barbecue, they hear telepathically, they hear, um, uh, can you tell the difference between us and you? 
and they and they say, well, no, everybody looks the same to me. And they say, well, see, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? Isn't that, soon we will all be together. Soon, well, you say soon we'll all be together by enough enough people saying that same kind of phrase, uh, you know, o- over a long haul. After a while, I, I I tend to believe it, and um, and so consequently. Um, in 2003, it's the way I start my new book, which is, so far, the title is Walking Among Us. Okay. Whether that title stays or not, I don't know, but that's, that's my title. Um, but um, a guy comes to me and tells me that he, uh, um, he's got a friend uh, named Eric, and he and Eric went to a, a baseball game, a Baltimore Orioles game here, which is about uh, 100 miles south of uh, Philadelphia and Baltimore. And um, everything was fine. Everything is great. Everything is wonderful. So what? Well, the so what is, Eric is a hybrid. <laughs> this guy who I'm talking to, his name is Bernard. Yeah, well, uh, he and Eric went. He took Eric to a ball game. Now, we and uh, Eric was his best friend. He really liked Eric. He didn't know where Eric came from. Didn't know what Eric's last name was. Didn't know what Eric did, did for a living. Didn't know where Eric went to, to bed at night. Didn't know, didn't know anything at all about Eric, except that he was really good friends with him, he told me. Really good. He just, you know, he really, really, really liked him. They went, they did this, they did that, they did this, they did that. They went to other countries. They, they, they went to restaurants. And I, 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 I had never heard anything like that before. How did he know that he was that he was a that he was a hybrid? Was was this someone that that he had been was he an abductee and had experienced this person before? Well, he he for, when he first mentioned to me, you know, I, we we did a session on, on when he sort of first got to know him, and he and, and okay. he was already an adult, and he just showed a show sort of showed up one time, and um, the conversation was typical hybrid uh, human conversation, one way. The hybrid asks questions, and the human answers. It never occurs to the human to ask questions like, what is your last name? (laughs) Or, what do you do for a living? Or, where do you live? Or, where did you grow up? Or, what school did you go to? Or, complex questions like that. You know what I mean? Simple stuff that everybody automatically knows if you know if you've got a friend somewhere, you know. Right. He's been with this guy for years. Still doesn't know it, and 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 he never even remembered this person until he came to me, and we did a. This was in uh, one of the, uh, I only did about fifteen or seventeen sessions with him, something like that, but this came out in around the fifth session. He'd already, you know, that he suddenly remembered in the session we did that he had this friend named Eric. The baseball game situation came up when he he didn't even realize. He, he said, "Well, he." He normally took his daughter down to see the game. He had season tickets, and yeah. um, uh, uh, even though the Phillies are the big team around here, but but the, the, he was a loyal Orioles fan. So uh, he said, he, "I said he said to me, well, I went down to a game a couple of weeks ago, you know, and I went I went alone." I said, "Oh, you didn't take your daughter? No, no, just went alone." I said, "Well, what did you do with the ticket? With the other ticket?" blank didn't remember i said well um did you uh did anybody sit next to you 
you know, and just next in the seat next to you. Couldn't remember. Well, this was just like two weeks before or whatever it was. So what do you mean? You can't remember. And you don't know what you did with the tickets. You know, some people will sell their tickets to somebody outside or whatever, you know. Uh, and uh, uh, so we did a session on it. And there was his friend, Eric. And it started out with him driving down and then going off to the side. And there's Eric standing on a, a sidewalk waiting for him. And then going back on track, uh, the I-95, down to uh, um, down to. Baltimore and these various things happened and this discussion took place all of which was extremely bizarre and weird and um, and 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 this was Eric his friend and so the, the point is that that uh, uh, he, he had no he, this guy had been with him he began to remember all these other instances where he had been with him too and he had no knowledge of any of this stuff beforehand really so the point is that um, he, when you hear something like that, you put it on the back burner, you wait for other people to say the same thing because you're looking for patterns. Yeah. And one case does not a pattern make, period. No, it doesn't. Right. Then other people tell, began to tell me the same kinds of stories and not exactly going to a baseball game, but having a friend. And they and this friend was coming and visiting them all the time, and he was a great guy, and uh and uh, and uh, they really liked him, and then this, and they known him for a long time or a short time or whatever. And I knew then that the change, as they had been talking about, was either in this happening or I had uncovered it happening. It was either first, in other words, I can't really tell how long had this been going on, but um, but it's all leading to something, and whatever that something is, I don't like. Because these hybrids who look absolutely human um, can control us, and we cannot control them. Dr. Jacobs, I wanted to ask you real quick about you know his friend, and, and did he describe any physiological differences? No. Anything that nope. would like he would be different? Nope. Nope. They look uh, absolutely human. The ones who look different, the ones who might have ears that are too big. They're ones who who uh, are different in any way. They don't come down. The whole point is to be human, except that you can control actual humans, and humans can't control them. And uh, so if somebody looks at somebody and says, oh, God, that guy looks like a hybrid, you know, my, that guy is weird. The answer is no, 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 no. If they look weird, they're not a hybrid. They're just a weird-looking guy, or whatever. This is an ugly baby. It happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, you know, where I was kind of going with that was: Have you heard of the black-eyed children phenomenon? Yeah, I I have heard of it. I've never seen a black-eyed child. No abductee has ever told me about any black-eyed child that they have. I have a. I I I am extremely distrustful of that. Ex- extremely, to say the least. I'm putting it mildly, because if there were black-eyed children walking around, they wouldn't be hybrids, because hybrids don't have black eyes. Well, it's interesting that you brought up the whole thing about, you know, them being able to control humans, because that seems in the black-eyed child um, lore in those stories, that that's exactly what they try to do to get to people to let them come inside. Well, uh, 
I, I, <laughs> there's no reason why a black-eyed child would let any would let them come inside a home if that's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean it's kind of counterproductive because if you know I would just freak out, slam the door in their face. Well, if they're <laughs> <laughs> if they're coming from a UFO, they don't need yeah. to. They just do what they want to do. There, there, there's no concept of of allowing or letting or, or anything like that. They just they, they 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 come right through walls and windows. That's a standard way of abducting people when they're at home, um, and and they go right. You know, it, it, this we've known that for 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 years and years and years and years and years, and 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 it's it's crazy, but that's the way it is. And I like that. I like that. You know why? Because if this were psychological, and and the phenomenon is either psychological or it's happening. It's one of the two. There's nothing in the middle. If this is psychological, people would say, "Well, we opened the door, and I, I went out the door, and and uh, you know, and then there was this object on the ground, and it was waiting for me, and went up and, and went into it." And every once in a while, they will say something like that. But uh, but most of the time, what they say is, "I'm going right through, for example, a closed window." And I, I remember the first time I heard that, I said, "Let me back you up a little bit. When you get to the window, do you open the window?" open the window <laughs> and they said no no i don't open the window well do these gray beings do they, do they open the window no they don't open the window well does the window open by itself in some way no and they say I, I think i'm going right through the closed window and one person said to me has anybody else ever said that and and you know there's like i have hundreds and hundreds of accounts of that and here's the thing. There is no reason on this earth for them to say, of course I opened. Uh, I, I didn't. The window. Let me start this again. There's no reason for them to say they went through a closed window. All they had to do was say, of course I opened the window. Or it opened for me. Yeah. Whatever it is, it makes the story more believable. And if it's psychological, they'd open the window. Yeah. Why, why say something that makes their, their story sound crazy? Yeah. An impossible. But nobody it, it, says they open the window. They all go right through the window, right through the wall. They go up through their apartment building ceiling and look at other people's apartments on their way up. So so do you believe that these um, hybrids, that they're like fully integrated into humanity even now? My favorite or, or question. still in process. My, you're asking my favorite question in all the world up until shortly, off, up until a while ago. Yeah. Do you think that hybrids are walking among us? And the and I, I I used to say, and I wrote in the threat, and I'm repeating the quote in uh, in my new book. Absolutely not. There's no evidence whatsoever that uh, that they're walking around among us. It's it's ridiculous. No, there's no, no, absolutely not. I didn't quite say it that way in the threat, but but that's what I meant. Now, okay. when you ask that question, the answer is to my shame and insanity. Because the first one, when I got to say absolutely not, I felt sane. I felt like I was still on this earth in in, in and not in La La Land. But now I am forced to dwell in La La Land, and now I have to say, yes, I do think that they're that that they are here and that they are living here, and that's what this book is about. 
how are they doing that? How are they getting help? How are they getting apartments? How are they uh, learning about what a refrigerator is? How do they do that? That's what the book is about. Well, what are what are some of the key points that made you change your mind, you know, from such a, a drastic viewpoint the like that? The weight of evidence. That's the only reason I ever changed my mind is the weight of evidence that uh, – uh, more and more people began to tell me the same things about how they're living here and how I'm helping them and and all that. And I have one woman uh, who I call Betsy in this book, and Betsy and I worked together uh, for a couple of years, uh, and I looked at over a hundred different events that happened to her. Uh, I, she gave me access to her life that no other researcher has ever had and for a longer period than, than anybody almost. Uh, and uh, so I could see what was going on, not, not on a daily basis, but certainly on a uh, maybe two or three times a week basis. And, um, and she was helping hybrids uh, move into apartments and, 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 and teaching them how to uh, how to cook and this and that and all sorts of things and uh, and other people said the same thing and I, and I suddenly was looking at patterns and uh, and and everything 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 I, I've been looking at essentially you know fell into place since Secret Life as wrong as I was in some aspects of Secret Life and I was correct in most aspects but there's even more things I was wrong about um, but uh, as we just gained more and more information, more and more knowledge, uh, everything went to one pathway, and that was to living here among us, walking among us, living among us. And uh, we still do not know the reason why. If this were psychological, people would make that up. We know the reason why. They're making everything else up. Why not? Maybe they've got a dying planet. You know, maybe, uh, maybe, maybe they want gold. They're mining for gold. Who knows what they would say, but we'd have a million different reasons why they were here. But nobody knows. Even the ones who are living here do not know. They only know what their function is. Their function is to live here and be human. Um, so... Uh, so that's, that remains the prize uh, uh, a puzzle. If you can answer that puzzle, why they're here, that will be the end of our of, uh, abduction research in terms of wondering what the heck is going on. We'll know what's going on and we'll know why. Well, right now, we I think we know what's going on, but we don't know why. So, and I want to kind of ask about the role of the abductee in this, but... Uh, just to get it straight, you're looking at possibility that this has been going on around since like the 1880s. I think so. I think okay. so. Now, it was in those days, maybe perhaps they were just actually figuring out whether or not we were suitable for their program. I don't know. Um, uh, because I haven't, we're never going to know, let's put it that way, unless they tell us. However, I know that in the 1930s uh, and, and especially in the 1940s, pretty much the same stories were, were coming forward, at least of lying on a table, having procedures uh, administered to them, that, that sort of thing. Uh, that was going on, uh, uh, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Um, so we know that they've been at it for a, lo for, for a while, for a long time. 
the question is, how long a time do they have? And that's one of the questions I try to address in this book. And the answer is, we don't know, of course, but it doesn't seem like they're in a hurry. They're going at their own pace, and uh, it's maybe a slow pace. And, and then, of course, the question comes, uh, comes up, well, how long do they live? You know, uh, yeah. is there a constant changeover of personnel? Do they grow old and die? Do we see gray aliens who turn actually a whitish gray, like my hair, or just white? You know, it's, uh, I mean, do they age? We don't know any of that stuff. Uh, we do know that humans are living longer than ever before, that scientists are trying to get everybody, uh, to, at least in stuff that I've read only recently, up to maybe live uh, 100 years or more, and eventually maybe 150 or maybe 200 years. You know, and, you know who knows? Maybe we'll, be, we'll become immortal eventually. But the point is um, that, uh, that they seem to have all the time in the world, that they're going at their own pace. They don't seem to be very worried about our finding out about them, uh, although uh, there are certain security measures in place for them that uh, make sure that the hybrids don't, uh, that abductees rather don't tell people. Uh, and um, there's a complexity to this program that is much greater than, than was thought. You know, there's there's got to be some sort of... Uh, that doesn't have to be, but it's likely that they have some sort of support uh, kind of situation where if they run out of material, they need to have it uh, restocked. They, there's there's got to be some sort of background where they they had to make these uh, UFOs uh, uh, or else uh, have the UFOs already made in some way for other purposes and and re and remake them for humans. And in other words, there's 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 huge amounts of information that we have no knowledge of whatsoever. But we can infer, we can, we, we can kind of figure out, uh, uh, you know, what's going on anyway. We can, we know what's happening. How they put eggs and sperm together and then make hybrids, we don't know. Right. Don't know that part. We don't know what's going on backstage, you know, behind the scenes. Uh, because that like these aren't don't, don't go there. So, Doctor uh, Jacobs, where where do you think that they come from? Well, you know, there's two things that, that the people want to know: where do they come from and how do they get here. Yeah. I, I think, uh, interestingly enough, I, I don't care. I don't know where they come hmm. from. And even that's if, an interesting answer, right? It, well, it doesn't <laughs> no. matter where they come from. They, they don't come from here. That's that's all you got to know. They're, they're only scientists have a difficult time with they, they can't get here from their speed of light, even at the speed of light traveling, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't matter. The only question that's germane is, are they here or not? That's the question. And if they are, why are they here? What are they what are they doing here? That's the next question. Everything else doesn't matter. Now, supposing they come from some other planet, there is no possibility. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's almost no possibility <laughs> that um, they could tell us what planet they're from because we don't know the names of almost all the planets in the galaxy because we haven't even identified them yet. We've only identified a couple thousand planets, gas giants mainly, 
So if they have a name for a planet and they tell it to us, what is that going to mean? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they, if they point up to a, a part of the sky, what does that mean? So, you know, maybe it's trillions of light years away. Who knows when, or billions, or whatever. Uh, that reminds me of the Villas Boas, his experience with the, the alien female pointing towards the sky. Towards the sky. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the point is, is that we do have, uh, we have for, for, for stars and galaxies, we have numbers and we have some names, but all he could do was point towards the sky. And since, you know, I shouldn't have even put that in because nobody else has ever said anything like that. Yeah. And I, now I look back and I rue the day when I put that in, but, but supposing they, they, they had to come from someplace, obviously, I don't think that they just live in the, in the ether. Maybe, maybe they do. But they're they're on solid objects. They got things that they, that they got technology. They had, it seems to me that they had to build it somewhere. And um, is it possible that they would come from Earth? No, 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 no. Uh, there's no possibility whatsoever for that. There's none. That's in the zero range, in spite of what you read on the internet. Uh, they don't come from the hollow Earth. They don't come from uh, different. Uh, Time, uh, different dimension, maybe. Different universe, maybe. Yeah. You know, different galaxy, maybe. Although there's 200 billion planets, and I mean, um, uh, stars in this galaxy, that's plenty enough where they could come from. Uh, so, but it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. None of that matters. The only thing that matters is are they here or not. The only thing. What role do you think as this moves forward? This program that they have, uh, was it colonization or replacement or whatever it is, what role do the abductees have in this? An increasingly complex role. Uh, not for everybody, but for some. And uh, abductees have a part to play in this. Uh, they are valuable commodities. Um, and um, the first thing is, is of course, is that by, you see, with intergenerationality, they keep up with the uh, with the population increase. Yeah. When I was born back in the year 1841, <laughs> I, <laughs> or was it 1942? I one of those two. I can't remember. Uh, there was two billion people on the planet. Now there's seven billion people on the planet in my lifetime. And in another yeah, person's lifetime, yeah. there's going to be like God knows how many people on the planet. So, yeah, don't get Luke started on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a depopulation advocate. <laughs> well, the point is, is that w the intergenerationality of abductees allows for them to keep up with with the population increase. Right. Because as the as abductees, as I'm sorry, as the population increases, you know the. You abductees have children, and they have children, and they have children, and they have children, just like everybody else, and uh, it spreads throughout the society, just like uh, the population does. So, you're, so the question is, will there ever be more abductees than there are non-abductees? And the answer is, I don't know, but probably not. But I don't know. 
the question is, though, to make that the to invert that question is, what's going to happen to non-abductees? Well, you know, what's going to happen in the future of non-abductees? That's a more serious yeah, question. Probably we're all going to be on the cafeteria table or something. Yeah, I don't know. Anything is possible. We don't know <laughs> what, but whatever it is, it ain't good. <laughs> I just don't see it being good when you're walking around and there's other people who can control you and use you for whatever purposes they want. It's not good. Um, however, there's. Oh, go on. I'm sorry. Well, I do have a series of cases where people are are basically um, given the job of standing on a corner and directing traffic, and the traffic is a large group of panicked humans walking or running down the street and they're supposed to stand in a certain place and say it's okay everything is fine just keep moving this way just keep moving this way that's their job when the change comes and you know you hear that once forget it but i've heard that a number of times and uh, i mean who would think of something like that or what what kind of a job is that uh and um uh, but I've heard that a number of times that that's what they'll be doing in the future. And gee, I don't like to hear that because I'm going to be one of those people <clears throat> who's running down the street. And you know, I don't. Rather unsettling, yeah. Yeah, and and sometimes it'll be waiting. They'll be heading, hurting them towards a waiting UFO, which I don't particularly like either. Uh, I mean, they're obviously saying just keep moving this way for a reason. You know, they're. The reason, is, you know, it's uh, I don't even want to think about the reason. <laughs> Maybe it's just to give them a pep talk, have a rally. But anyway, the point is, though, that um, that it is not good. The whole situation, I fear the thing. I, I, I used to love it when I first started uh, doing research. It was exciting. It was thrilling. This was contact. Yeah. The whole concept of contact is just popular culture. It means nothing. Contact is just invented by humans. And that, that, that there's going to be a mutual meeting of, of, of beings and, and a mutual exchange of information. That's going to be wonderful. I'm going to remember the, the community of planets and all that sort of stuff. That's, that's movie stuff. That's pure uh, popular culture. Uh, what is happening is is reality, even though people think that what I'm describing is pure popular culture. But what I what I think I'm describing is is reality, and uh, it, it's not like it's not like what popular culture is at all. And uh, so uh, so I, I I must say that that uh, I, it was extremely exciting and wonderful in the beginning, and then when I began to realize what was going on, I. I began to dislike it and uh, and dislike it more and more and more. And now, with my last book, you'll 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 understand why this is this is a catastrophic situation. <clears throat> wow! Excuse me. It, it seems to me like you know when when you were saying that, it just like I couldn't help but think about how we are towards animals and ones that we perceive to be lower than us. You know. We don't bother to explain to a cow why it's going to a slaughterhouse. You know, we don't, well, don't if, bother to I'm to sure. explain to right. like a deer or something that we've but we've shot and tranquilized and tagged and re-released in the wild. Well, with the cows, if you explained it to them, I, they'd probably understand. <laughs> 
You're like, no problem. <laughs> I, I want to throw it in the time that we have left, I want to throw in uh, a couple of ideas um, that I have, and I want to kind of get your thoughts on it. Um, I am a uh, proponent of this phenomenon being kind of primarily a spiritual phenomenon. And uh, one of the things we've talked about on the show, and I've said this a lot on the show, is about uh, the, are you familiar with like uh, ayahuasca and those experience people, uh, that drug that people take in Peru, they have, uh, they have like mystical experiences? Uh, no, not much, to tell you the truth. They see a lot of similar kind of beings that are seen in these, um, in these abduction um, experiences. And also too, could this, maybe some of this be a cover for maybe genetic experiments that, our, you know, our government or some super government may be doing on on people. Nah, <laughs> this is this is life in outer space. You know, you have to think if if we have advanced technological life, there's billions of them out there probably who have advanced technological life. I mean, uh, there used to be an argument that that we were the only life in the galaxy. I'm not even going to talk about the universe or the multiverse, yeah. but but I just in the galaxy called the rare earth theory because you know the there are certain things that happen on earth that were so rare that uh, that that it allowed life to 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 come about as we know it and and uh, that argument is, is just is no longer made by scientists and and everybody all scientists now because we're discovering planets all over the place. Oh, uh, and there was just something on, on uh, about uh, the comet landing. They found um, uh, 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 carbon in there on, 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 the, on the comet, uh, the building blocks of life, carbon of all things on the on the on the. Uh, well, the point is, is that if if we're here, there's tons of life all over the place, and 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 if we, and here's here's the argument. If we and we have pretty advanced technology now, and it's and we'll continue to advance at, at great next speed, I would imagine. But our technology is still relatively new. It just started a couple hundred years ago. In yeah. cosmic time, or geologic time, as they say, that is not even the beginning of an eye blink. It's just, <laughs> it's just, it's it's of no consequence in terms of time. If another planet that was Earth-like, let's just say, was out there and, uh, and other beings grew up and in some way without having to have a, however they, they came about, um, and they, uh, you know, they, they, but they were just a tiny, 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 tiny bit uh, behind us in terms of their technology, just a tiny bit. That means they would have no technology whatsoever, period. There would sure. be zero technology. They would not have invented the plow yet. There's nothing there. Because when you're saying tiny bits, you might mean a million years. You might mean 100,000 years. You, you know, 100,000 years would be a tiny, 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 tiny bit. And if they were just a... Yeah, comparatively, yeah. Yeah, and if they were just a tiny, 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 tiny bit ahead of us, their their technology would seem, as they say, like magic. Their technology would be incomprehensible. 
And that's what you got with this. People are saying it, and they don't realize it. They're going through walls and windows. They're 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 being uh, they're they're telepathically being addressed, and they're being controlled neurologically. And they, all this other kind of stuff that 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 they're saying that that they shouldn't be saying. They shouldn't be saying that if if, if this if this were psychological. But they all say it. And you have to understand that this then is a very, very advanced society, and uh, and 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 we are the non-advanced society. And so, for one group of beings to supplant another group of beings like that is, in an odd way, sort of like our taking over the Neanderthals. Yeah, I mean, it happens all throughout our history, even recent history. I mean, you talk about the 19th century. I mean, you know, uh, an even better example was the Indians that, you know, were there when Columbus set foot uh, foot in the New World. I mean, they were wiped out. That's right. And, uh, but the Neanderthals, see, the problem that we're dealing with here is that these Beings are coming down who are con- who are living here. I hate to even say that. I can't. I can't believe that I'm saying that. Um, that they they are as they're not just because of the difference in technology and and because they can control us. In the future, we if we survive, we will not be in the pleasant situation of being second class citizens. That would be wonderful. I'll take it. We're going to be second class species like the Neanderthals. Yeah. And uh maybe we'll marry in eventually or whatever, but uh but but it's a different species and uh uh and 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 evolutionary wise that uh it's not good for us. It just I just don't see good for us coming out of it. I I just that controls the, the neurological situation of the killer. That's that's really bad. That's 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 the that's the big one. So, oh, oh, I want to ask him a little bit as we we're kind of running out of time. But you know, um, your your studies that you have been doing for this, you know, I guess over thirty years now. And, that uh, um, well, with UFOs and abductions uh, for uh, um, you know with both UFOs and abductions combined since nineteen sixty five. Wow, how you know being an academic and in that academic world. How have your your colleagues reacted to 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 this field of study? Well, I retired in 2011, uh, but I did teach for 37 years. Um, the uh, uh, they, they didn't understand it at best. That was the good ones. They didn't understand it, and uh, when you get to the scientific community, they were uh, really uh, hostile. <laughs> uh, you know. Yeah. I spent 36 years. I spent one year at the University of Nebraska and 36 years at uh, Temple. The number of scientists, people from the scientific community, physicists or, or, or chemists or whoever it was in the hard sciences, who came up to me and said, uh, uh, "Jacobs, you know what, what the hell is this all about? What is this abduction <laughs> stuff all about anyway? What do you what is, what is how are you doing this? What is this all about?" The number was, and I, I can I can count these on on my fingers and toes, and the total number is zero. Hmm. Even using my fingers and toes, it still comes out to zero. Not a single scientist asked me about this subject the entire time I was at, uh, whether it was UFOs or abductions, and I taught a course on it 
almost every year from 1977 to 2011. Right, that was the course on, yeah, on UFOs and popular culture? It was UFOs in American society. It was through the American yeah. Studies program and through history, and uh, and uh, was an unbelievably popular uh, class. And I got oh sure, <laughs> I had more publicity about uh, about UFOs and abductions, and uh, more publicity than any other person at Temple University outside of the sports program. And um, not a single scientist expressed any interest in it whatsoever. And what we're looking at in both UFOs and especially abductions, of course, but, but with UFOs in general, is a retreat by the scientific and academic community away from the subject rather than a gravitation towards it to find out more about it. It's the exact opposite that has happened in recent years. In 2002, I gave a talk at the Mutual UFO Symposium called How to Build a Scientific Community. And what I did was I looked at at the list of um, consultants that uh, Mutual UFO Network had uh, that they published every year, and I counted up how many consultants had were scientists and had given their names or who had MAs or PhDs had given their names publicly to help study the subject. And then I went to the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, did the same thing. National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena did the same thing, and any other ones I could find. And I found over 1,200 people with advanced degrees had, over the years, given their names uh, to organizations to say, use me, you know, uh, for whatever you want. And um, now you take a look at the MUFON Symposium uh, list of consultants that they have they used to have every, once a year and there is no list anymore and there's very very few new uh, academics or or or, or scientists uh, got coming in i say academics or scientists because a lot of scientists work at laboratories too <clears throat> um but a lot uh, uh uh none there's almost no interest in it it's been a massive sort of standoffishness, primarily because of three reasons. Number one reason, cable TV, if I may use that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> what you see on the Discovery uh, Channel, uh, TLC, and uh, Sasonian, uh, whatever, what you see in the History Channel. It's Was Nostradamus an alien? <laughs> I'm mocking one of those shows. That's basically how they are. Right. Well, there's there's tons of them. It's, and what that does, it just becomes another part of popular culture. Right. It it popular culturizes it to a degree that is unimaginable from before. The second thing is conspiracy theories. It is very, 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 I cannot emphasize that enough, difficult for academics of any kind, especially historians uh, and political scientists, to believe in grand conspiracy theories. That is, that's a stopper. That's a dead stopper for them. And the third reason is abductions. You mean to tell me that these people are coming down and having sex with our women just just because they're having a good time? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, I mean, it's so nutty. It is so crazy. Yeah. And, of course, you can't get any... If you decide that you're interested in the subject, 
your your judgment is called into question by your colleagues immediately. What's wrong with you? What are you nuts or something? You know, uh, and and you there's no money to study this subject either. Academics and, and especially scientists work off of grants, and uh, there there's no money to study. This is a study a subject that that is that is an orphan subject, and so and and the whole thing is crazy anyway. So. There you go. But those main, those are the three main reasons, in, in my estimation, in, in the way I think about it, why there's been this retreat by the uh, scientific community. There's something else, too. And I, I've taken this out of my book because it didn't quite fit, but I, I, I liked it. Okay. It is intentionality about UFOs. And I call this the UFO conundrum. What UFOs do is they fly about. We hear them, oh, my God, they were over nuclear installations, nuclear installations, nuclear. Yeah, yeah so, and they're over everything else, too. They're over shopping centers. They're over schools. They're over fields. They're over here. You know, they're over here, over there, everywhere. Um, but they don't follow sort of popular ideas of how they should act. And the way they should act is, let's just say, with some sort of intentionality. They have not landed on the White House lawn. They have not um, uh, lent themselves up in a massive show uh, above a city to be photographed and, and, and all that by millions of gaping people. Uh, they have not masked as if they were going to start zapping people and, 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 and blowing up buildings. There's been no sense of intentionality. We can't get their intentions by having them be seen by people every once in a while. Therefore, without that intentionality, there's no sense of urgency by the academic community. There's right. no sense of, hey, we, gotta, we, we have to take a look at this. There's nothing like that. Flying around without any intentionality is a critical event for scientists because there's no reason, even if they are from outer space, which of course is ridiculous, but even if they are, it doesn't matter because they don't constitute a threat to us. It just seems random to them. Yeah. Even if it is just random, then, and, you know, it just, but they don't. Nobody knows. There's no intention. Nobody knows what the intentions are. So there's no urgency. Therefore, there's no study. Therefore, the government is not interested in it. Nobody's interested in it. I, I hate to say the government isn't interested in it because all I do is make enemies by saying that. But um, but but the, uh, there's no. I don't find the evidence for government uh, intervention in this subject uh, in terms of studying it to, to be uh, strong. I don't find that. Uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a big adherent to, to that. Well, Dr. Jacobs, uh, uh, so we're almost out of time, but uh, where can people get in touch with you, and where could they uh, could could they get to get your books? Well, uh, my books are available at Amazon. Um, I don't sell them on my website, but uh, my my web address is uh, ufoabduction.com. That's singular, ufoabduction.com. If you put an S in there, abductions, that's that's a whole other world. It's a whole other website, a whole other guys, other. So uh, it's ufoabduction.com. I wasn't smart enough to get UFO abductions when I bought the website in 1999. That happens. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Luke, is there anything that you wanted to add or um, this wonderful picture you've been drawing back here? Yeah, I'm glad to make you happy. I, I, I'm just a, a lighthearted guy with a, a smile <laughs> on my face and a quirk in uh, my and and a joke in my lips. Well, we've 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 enjoyed the interview. Yeah. Um, stay on the line for us. We're going to close out this. Uh, we're going to close this section of Conspiranormal, and we'll be right back, guys. What alien astronaut theorists have to say about the issue. So if you look at the shape of Madagascar from space, <laughs> it kind of looks like an alien torso. Could it be a coincidence? Is it coincidence? I think not. Let's go to Zuccarillo. Well, I think that, uh, the, you know, it's, it, it might not have been aliens, but, uh, you know, it probably was aliens. We've, we've got these megaton stones, okay, that were moved into place by who knows who. Because, like, it was impossible with the technology at the time to move these stones. That's right. I mean, you know, they'd have to cut down an entire forest to be able to, to bring those stones in. It was definitely, certainly the work of aliens. Or it could have been midgets. <laughs> anyway... All right, we're back on Conspiracy. <laughs> just, just having a little fun since he mentioned uh, ancient. He mentioned uh, cable TV. Uh, Luke. Yeah. Since uh, and Rob, you know, since we're down here, you know, you guys listen to that uh, interview. Um, we'll kind of get your, you know, briefly, kind of get your ideas on that. Luke, Rob, you well, first. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've never, I've never really delved much into the. Yeah. The subject of, as far as how hy hypnosis sessions lead into abductions, I mean, I know that it's a, a pretty big, um, it's a pretty big chunk of evidence for, for the cause for it. But it's not, it's not something I've ever um, had a chance to really hear the history on, or the the methods of, or right. the, you know, hear the actual case for it itself. Uh, it was it was kind of it was interesting, and it was cool to see his his evolution of thought through the past like several decades how he yeah started out just kind of goofing around with it and learning how to do hypnosis and surprising himself and starting as a skeptic and then moving into to where he is now yeah it was very interesting to see, to see that development and he definitely from his first book which was secret life to the second book which was a threat he definitely comes to a different conclusion and i think he comes to a, he came to a different conclusion than most of his colleagues that there was kind of an existential threat going on or like almost that humanity was being being replaced you know uh, uh, something that he didn't seem to get into was a lot of the specific cases that st that stood out for him you know yeah. like the like the pivotal ones and that's what I was trying to ask like you know the the real the pivotal cases for him that made him go from uh, a really you know formal scientific view to to you know what he th what he thinks now. Well, I think he said he you know he had interviewed like 150 people. Right. I mean, he did talk about one, which it, was his, his his example on hypnosis. But was seen you know, on and you got the book right here. Of course, I haven't read it because I don't read. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least some people admit it. <laughs> but I read a magazine or something. But <laughs> but uh, like, heavy metal magazines, dude. You know, but what what I was trying to figure out was. What is it that's reoccurring in all of these patients that that uh, was so convincing? You know that. 
What what was it? I mean, you read the book. Well, I mean, it's just it's basically just the just the um, the procedures themselves that were that were being done that they said the aliens did to the to did to these people. You know, uh, where they where where were they taken? How were they taken? Uh, what happened to them when they got there? And, if, and there were similarities between all the cases that he had. Those were the those were those similarities. Okay. So so some um, so the similarities were like maybe the appearance of the aliens and yeah. and the procedures, uh, the procedures they were they yep. were done to them. Okay, right, right. And and as he saw those patterns, he was able to ask questions that were you know that are control questions and ask maybe not in a leading way, but ask a question about you know what did you see when you got there, and then if this person's story corresponded to this other person's story or to all the other people's story, then he knew that there was probably, you know, 150 people weren't lying all at the same time. Right, yeah, true. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, uh, I thought that was a great interview. I, I really enjoyed it. I, you know, like I said, you guys know where I come down on this. Uh, so it's kind of a, it's kind of different for me in a way because, you know, of course not believing that this is a physical phenomenon or that there's a real hybridization program taking yeah, place. Right. Uh, you know, like, like I told you guys when we were just downstairs, you know, God alone, we had him on here back, uh, well not last time, but this was back in t- 2012, uh, as he was one of our first guests. Yeah, that's on a long here. time ago. Yeah. We've been doing this a while, man. Dude. Dude. And, uh, so talking about the, we we're talking about specifically the hybrid babies, well, you know, a guy was saying that, you know, he just thought that was just another form of torment that these beings, these entities were putting these women through, that there wasn't any like real program behind it. Right. And that probably, um, the babies themselves weren't even real, that it was all just a, just an internal experience. And even though I don't believe in, in physical aliens, you know, like I still, I still believe that there is a being you know that parallels the thoughts that created them in the first place in another dimension, uh, a parallel dimension, you know, to our own. Are you talking about kind of like a tulpa kind of thing? No, I'm talking about like in you know I'm I'm I think you know, I come from the stance where where people and their energy, collective energies and so forth, create demons, create angels. Okay, and, like and a create collective the, unconscious. Yeah, yeah. Like, like collective, co- collective conscious. Yeah. yeah. And and I believe that they create all of the demons and stuff in another dimension, and you know, and I associate aliens with demons. Is the reason I say that, and I think that they're too, you know they're they're the same. And um, so, what was I getting to originally? Hold well, on. you were talking about um, not too long ago. We were talking about the ayahuasca stuff, and you were talking about how some of the creatures that. Uh, when we showed this book about the occult that yeah. I have, yeah, yeah, history of the occult, and he said that some of those that some of those beings are being seen. Yeah, well, um, so you know, you've you've got a person that its entire life, you know, since it was born, a person sees uh, humanoid figures throughout its life, and the animals, you know, all the animals, most of the animals in the animal kingdom are uh, symmetrical, you know, rather than being asymmetrical. So, of course. We're gonna see what's familiar, you know. Yeah. Even when people are are tripping, there's still a part of their mind in it, as well as some reality that I think has been created by the collective uh, conscience. So, uh, so you know, you'll you'll get a regurgitation of all of that amalgamation, you know, together as well, as think, alien beings. 
I think instinct can play a part of that too as well. You know, we have to be able to recognize predators to survive, to to evolve, and so we all have this sort of preconceived notion from birth as to what what that is. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, a uh, way that I see things is that you've got you do have these entities that do actually exist independently of us, but they can tap into kind of our collective unconscious and they can appear as whatever they want to appear. Uh, there was a chart that somebody posted up on Facebook not so long ago that said like aliens through the ages or something. And it was like since 1940s and they showed all the different kind of aliens that people had supposedly encountered and they're all different shapes and sizes. I saw that. Yeah. yeah I, I, I like posted that. it to you. I thought that, I thought those were all from movies. No, they weren't for movies. Those are people, oh. those are what people actually purported oh. to have seen. Okay, are the contactees in the fifties and sixties? They're they a lot different, to dude. Seen. They're a lot different throughout the years. And man. and yeah, and then you finally get like the little gray alien at the end of it. And you know the, the the truth is is that these whatever they are entities, fallen angels, whatever you want to call them, angels, demons that they can appear as whatever that that. That they think that you're going to want them to appear yeah. as, and and um, you know people are seeing you know people are sending seeing Slenderman right now and, you know with, we know Slenderman's fake with uh oh man I forget what I was going to say <laughs> and I was, you know I brought up the point of the black eyed children and how that's um, how that is something that's going on some of those stories may be fake but some of them may be real. And some people are actually experiencing that, you know, but the whole black eyes thing, that's something that's in, that's big in popular culture in horror movies. I mean, how many horror movies and TV shows that are themed in horror that, you know, they show somebody that has solid black eyes like that. Right. What were you going to say before you dropped off there? I don't know, dude. Oh, man. I, I drink a couple beers and I get distracted by, <laughs> like, my girlfriend just will not leave me alone right now. <laughs> She keeps she's calling me and texting me. Are you, have you left yet? Where are you? I can't. I can't look. There's another one. Well, we better like Luke go. Okay, we we we've been here long enough. She's bugging the shit out but, of me. <laughs> My, <laughs> anyway, we'll be back in about two weeks, and we got one. We got one for Luke. We got a. Chaos sex magic per- practitioner. Woo-hoo. He's also had contact with aliens and apparently with Jesus too. And uh, his name is Thad McCracken. And uh, I'm going to be uh, reading his book over the uh, over the long, over this break over Thanksgiving. He's going to teach it's, us some ca- uh, chaos sex magic like yeah. over the air, dude. Yeah, I know. We're going to have right? an orgy but, in here. Like you, you, you can actually ask that guy, "Have you ever practiced sex magic?" And he'll tell you, "Hell yeah." Yeah, right. <laughs> He won't be like offended and taken aback by the question. <laughs> I don't think Gorotley was no. offended by your question. No, what, 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 he no, was just like, "What?" He, he was. He's like, "No." He was kind of stern sounding. Though. I mean, he, he probably he, he, he probably like, had to drop the pot brownie. <laughs> no, he he was like, "I'll have you know that I am a Christian," and I'm just like, "You let uh, him go rightly." Yeah, You're didn't not he say a that? Christian? Oh. <laughs> he's an atheist. Dude. My bad. Maybe, maybe I asked two guests uh, about sex magic then. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask every guest if they've participated in sex magic. We like get some nut on here. You ever uh, participated in sex magic? So, right. Well, yes, I have. So no, well, I'm not sure what that has to do with the original topic. But. I don't know, dude. I'm drunk. Sorry, dude. I've had a few beers. 
<laughs> I love the question about squid babies. That was <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I had to just kind of so jump in there. And... Squid baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we gotta quit before while we're ahead. Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Luke, thanks for participating. Rob, thank you for the awesome sound. Everything sounds great now. We don't have any like constantly over the over uh, over the microphone. So maybe um, he was trying to make it sound vintage or something. Yeah, <laughs> make it sound like an Edison roll. Be like, got the needle scratch. <laughs> Welcome to Conspiranormal. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. All right, we'll we'll be uh, just join us next time. We'll be back on Conspiranormal. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You 
you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.